We worship you today. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Uh, this is a part two today of a series that we're doing. And I did say it was going to be a two-part series, but I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be a three-part series. Couldn't fit it all in. Couldn't fit it all in. So I've got to, I've got to, uh, got to squish it out to another uh, uh, service because there's so much to go through. And it's something I don't want to really uh, rush through. And uh, again, just before I do it, make sure you do sign up for a connect group. Connect groups are so important. That's where life happens. We can turn up here each week and look at the back of someone's head. That's one thing. But I tell you, there's nothing like turning face to face and uh, doing some fellowship one uh, with another. But this is part two of Miracle Matters. And we're really asking the question, are miracles for today? Are the gifts for Today, does God still do miracles today? And as Pentecostals, we're a Pentecostal church. I know many of you will be saying under your breath or whatever. Some of you shouted out, even the last day they shouted out. They said, hey man, of course he does, brother. Of course he does. And, and of course you would say that. And you should say that you're, 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 you're Pentecostals. And so uh, for us, we don't always think about that that is not a normal part of our Christian lives. But obviously last week, we, uh, we saw that there are different uh, different people out there who would say, no, the miracles are not for today. The gifts are uh, not for today. And of course, e- even in talking last week, we, we, we asked the question, we asked the, uh, we asked the question, who has seen God do miracles in their life? It might be a financial, it might be a health miracle, it might be, uh, uh, you know, you, you needed food and you didn't have food and you said, Lord, I, I, I'm, I think, Shem, you had that kind of uh, miracle one time where you, you cried out to God and said, look, we've got no food. And then the next minute, food turns up. Uh, on the door. And so we, we, I asked who has experienced a miracle and, and, all, and this service and the next service, that pretty much 80% of the people lifted their hand at some stage of their Christian walk. They have uh, seen something that they would describe as miraculous. And so uh, again, the, the, you, you cannot deny those experiences. And of course, I had people, I want to thank people who also uh, wrote to me, who took the time to write to me and tell me their miracle stories over the course of the week. Uh, there was one family who were not able to be at church, but they watched the service on, uh, online, and they wrote to Anita and said this, please tell Adam that his sermon was absolutely incredible, and we just think he's so amazing. No, he, they, didn't, they didn't say that. They didn't say that. They just left that all out altogether. But they said, they said, please tell Adam that at six weeks old, we were told by intensive care doctors that there was nothing more they could do to save our son, and that if we believed, we should pray. You know it's getting serious when the doctors tell you to pray. And they said, our son is our miracle. I said to Anita, ask them back, how old's their son today? Their son is 22. All of us in this room will have stories of miracles and things that have taken place that there's no other way to explain it but God. But as we discovered last week, there are those who would say no to that question. And that's why it's important for me as believers, you know not just what you believe, but why you believe it. We can just say, yes, I believe it, but why? What's the, what, what do the scriptures say? What do they actually teach? Because as I said, this is a controversial area. For many, uh, I, I, I understand there are two camps. When it comes to this, there are two camps. Camp number one says basically miracles have ceased. 
with the death of the apostles that are no longer necessary, as we have the perfect word of God in its entirety, and therefore there is no need for them any longer. And those holding to that view are generally known as cessationists. They, they believe the gifts are not for today. And I, I just want to clarify something here. Cessationists do not say God can't do miracles today. They would say that is not the question. Can God still do miracles in the world today? They would say, of course he can do miracles. He's God. If he so desired, he could do miracles. They would say, rather, the better question is, does God still act in this manner today? The cessationist would answer, no, God no longer acts in this manner today, which sort of leaves us at the same place, but that just gives you a little bit of an understanding of what a cessationist would, would say. Camp two, of course, and I fall into this camp, is the gifts are for today. Thank you for that one amen. I said uh, the gifts are for today, miracles are for today. They never cease with the apostles, and they can and do happen today. In other words, they're normative. They're normative. There should be a part of the normal Christian experience. Now, I'm not saying you'll see miracles every day, and that's just happening. I mean, I, I want to tell you, waking up breathing is a miracle every day. I want to just have uh, the fact that we can walk when many can't, when many are struggling, the fact that we can see, we can hear. There are many, the fact that we sit on a ball that spins around at 20,000 miles an hour around a big ball of fire, that's kind of a miracle too, I think. They're, 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 but but, but uh, under, understand, we believe that miracles can and do happen today. In other words, they're normative. And this is often referred to as the continuous position because we believe it continues. And so that's the camp I fall into. Now, of course, uh, what is true or false can only be established really in the light of God's Word when it comes uh, down to it, which is not, as I said last week, not as simple as it seems because both camps would say they're right and they've studied the Word and that's what the Word of God, God says. So it's never as simple as it sounds, and they'll have scholars on either side that will uh, debate it till, till Jesus comes for, uh, for sure. So there's plenty of debate about it out there. And the other thing is, the truth is, our experiences, as amazing as they are, actually cannot be used as an argument for our position. They, they can't. You can't just use experience for an argument for our position. In the same way, one's lack of experience or negative experience cannot be used as an argument against a position either. It just comes down to what does the scripture say? If the Bible teaches, which I think it does, that gifts are for today, that God still does miracles today, the fact that there is some wacky and weird out there in Pentecostal churches, which there is, which there is, come on, let's be honest now. Which there, have you ever met a wacky Christian or a weird Christian? I guess some of you don't want to, thank you. Uh, but, uh, I hope you're not sitting next to them and that's why you didn't want to put your hand up. It's just, it's just one of those things. But there are, there's some wacky, wacky stuff. But just because something is wacky or weird does not invalidate the teaching of Scripture. If the Scripture says God does miracles today, even if, if there's some fraudsters and tricksters out there, that does not invalidate the teaching of Scripture. Even if I never, ever see a miracle ever, that does not invalidate the teaching of Scripture of whether God does miracles today, which I believe the Scriptures teach that they do. And ultimately, that's what matters. We can't base our thing on how we feel or what's happening or our experience. It's what 
the Bible teaches. So for me, when I read Scripture, I can see no clear passage anywhere that says the gifts have ceased. But I can see passages that would seem to indicate, and I understand that I'm, I'm teaching a bit more than preaching, because I want you to get this. It's, like I said, I don't, you, don't want you to just know what you believe, but I want you to know why you believe it. But I can see passages that would seem to indicate that they are available for disciples and Christ followers till Jesus comes. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, he's preaching to the crowd. It's just after Pentecost. 3,000 people are gathered, and he starts to preach. And he says, it shall come to pass in the last days. What days? The last days. And he's speaking right there from Joel chapter 2, verse 28. He's taking an Old Testament prophecy and bringing it into today, at that time. And I want you to know here today that Joel does not say the word. If you go back into Joel, Joel does not use the word last days. Peter inserts that. And it shall come to pass in the last days, and I still think we are in the last days. In the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, not just some, all flesh. Your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old men, your men servants, your maid servants, basically everybody, I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days. What days? In the last days. So who is it for? It's for all flesh. It's for all flesh. It's not just for the apostles, just not for the, uh, for the chosen ones or whatever. It is for all flesh. Peter goes on to say uh, a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. And this is what's known as the Peter package because he's preached to the 3,000. The Bible says they're cut to the heart and they say, what must we do to be saved? And so Peter says this. Then Peter said to them, repent. Repent. What does that mean? It means turn away. Turn away from your sin and turn towards God. I think that a little bit of that's lost today in today's church. We need to understand. We just say, well, we can do whatever and just go with the flow. And Jesus loves me here. No, we need to turn towards God. We need to turn away from our sin and turn towards God. Can I hear a good amen from you? He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, listen, to who it's for. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all. Everybody say all. And the Greek and Hebrew, all means all. And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Has anybody been called here today? Come on, friend, you've got to know that. I just need to see another hand. Some of you are not too sure. You, you did not choose him. He chose you. Anybody called here today? He's called you. It's for you. And there's no doubt when we read Scripture, there's no doubt that God used the apostles to do signs and wonders. In fact, Hayden read it out before. There's no doubt the apostles moved in power. They did. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. They, they were the 12 disciples. Many signs and wonders were done through them. But was it only the apostles that he did signs and wonders through? Well, the answer is no. Not at all. Turn a couple of pages to Acts chapter 6, and we find the apostles picking out Stephen. Stephen and six others to handle the distribution of the food among the believers. Because what had happened? Peter had preached. 3,000 got saved. Now, you, you imagine the logistics. You imagine this week we're this size. You imagine next week we've got 3,000 people turning up. 
How many know it's going to be pretty stressful? We've got a bit of, somebody get excited about it. I mean, it was just like, imagine that. It's like, oh, I lose my seat. I lose my, I mean, it's just like, look, thing. I know, I know, right? I know. So, 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 but imagine that's the kind of logistics they were doing with. You know, where they needed just a couple of hundred sausage rolls, now they need 3,000 uh, sausage rolls. And they're like, how do we do this? How do we do it? The calf's overloaded. Everyone's stressed out in the kitchen making the chips. They're all freaking out because there just isn't enough chips to go around. And, and so, the, and here's the thing. The apostles were doing all of that work. They're like, we shouldn't be doing this. We've got to stop. We need to concentrate on preaching the word and prayer. And so they choose somebody or six people, sorry, seven, counting, counting Stephen, I think, and, 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 and say, look, you guys take care of the kitchen. You guys take care of the distribution of the food. But here's what it says about, about Stephen. And Stephen, Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it says, They chose Stephen, a man full of, the, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, sometimes people say, well, what, what do you want to do? Are you, can you help out here? And, and this is just an encouragement to us. To, to, if you want to be a part of the dream team, sometimes we, we enjoy our services and whatever, but there is a place to serve. Come on, somebody. And you might say, well, I'm, I'm ready to preach, Pastor. I'm ready to preach. But, but I want to tell you, you can be full of the Holy Ghost and be assigned to kitchen duty. Come on, somebody. You're just getting some people or, or, or on kids' church, about three of you. That's <laughs> like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go. You, you, can be, you can be in any... Uh, any part, but Stephen was a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And here's what the Bible says about him in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. He was not an apostle. And again, when I'm talking about great wonders and signs, I want to tell you they weren't talking about the wonders and signs, I don't think, with the amazing key she cooked last Sunday. He did amazing, powerful signs and wonders. In Acts chapter 9, verse 17, a believer named Ananias lays hands on a blinded Saul who was later to become Paul. He could not see. He had been blinded by the light. And so, so he comes in, Ananias, and he prays for him. And it says, and Ananias laying his hands on him, Saul, who was to become Paul, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. And James chapter 5, verse 14, sorry, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today. James chapter 5, verse 14, specifically says for us to do this. If anyone, is anyone among you sick, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, when you read that, it sounds pretty simple. Now, but for cessationists, they'll, they'll say on this scripture uh, that this scripture isn't talking about the gift of healing. And okay, if it isn't, what is it talking about? Anyway, let's give them that for arguments sake that it's not talking about the gift of healing. But the question back is this. When I read this from the plain reading of scripture, just when you read it, if you, you've got no theological degree, if you just read it and see what it says. From the plain reading, of it, it seems to be that this is a normative practice in the church, any church. Elders pray in faith and the sick person will be made well. I don't, I, I'm not saying it means they're always made well. I'm not saying it's some kind of formula. If you just do these one, two, three, three steps, I'm just saying this is what the scripture says. It's a normative practice in the church anywhere. Get the elders to do that. 
so I would say to the cessationist, I would say this today. If a person... If a person was healed instantly through such a prayer offered in faith by the elders, would that not be miraculous? I mean, if somebody came in and they needed, and they've got a situation and they, they needed a healing, it's not gradual. I'm not talking about, it doesn't say, I mean, it could be gradual. It allows for that. But say somebody comes in and are instantly healed. It's like I told you about my back last week. Someone prayed and it was gone. It, it, was, it, it was gone. And so I can't deny it. I can't deny it. It was, it, it was gone. Would that, if some situation, big, small, whatever it is, comes in, would that not be miraculous? I would go, that's kind of miraculous. Because that's not normal. That's not how it, uh, how it's, uh, actually life goes like that. You know, it might take a few weeks to get over that. But instantly healed, I would say that's miraculous. Therefore, we could conclude that miracles have not ceased today. Now, the cessationist, as I said last week, and this is what I want to just dig into for a little bit today. The cessationist would argue that miracles that do take place today, the things that healing ministries do to have, that contemporary healing ministries, when they do for, pray for people, are far different to that of Jesus and the apostles. Therefore, they're not valid or legitimate. They disqualify themselves because it's very different from what Jesus did. The contemporary healing ministries are far different to that of Jesus and the apostles. And so in what way are they different? They would say this. They would say healings in the Bible times were instantaneous, irreversible, and complete. The scale of what was healed was bigger. The lame could walk, the deaf could hear, the dead were raised, the blind could see. They weren't just, you know, praying for coughs and colds and headaches. They would also say that Jesus and the apostles seemed like they could heal at will under any conditions. They could heal at will under any conditions. But I want to ask the question today, is that true? Is that true? Is that what we see when we read the scriptures? Could Jesus and the apostles heal at will under any conditions? Because the implications are, and I guess what they're trying to say, if that's how gifts were back then, that's how they should be right now. We should be able to do it. We should be able to just say, get up, rise up, walk, and, and, and we should be able to do it. If we're, if we're saying we're, we're, the gifts are still available today and that's what the gifts were like, we should be able to walk in that way, way, to do, uh, way today. So is that, is that true? Because the thing is, neither I nor you would say we could do that. We could not heal at will under any... any if you can do that, please, you should be up here uh, uh, preaching. Because we would not say, we, we would not say that you, could, you could do that or we could do that. But is that true? Could Jesus and the apostles heal at will? Let's take a look. So we already know from last week, I just want to remind you of that scripture, that we don't know everything that Jesus did. We don't. We don't know everybody he prayed for. We don't know every story. We don't know. We, just, we don't. Why? Because it's not written. John 21 verse 25. And there are, all, there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So for those of you who love Bible study, there is a hermeneutical. Everybody say hermeneutical three times. Yeah, I know. It's tough, right? 
There's a hermeneutical rule. If you're thinking about hermeneutics, what is it? Is it some kind of beauty cream or what is that? Because that's why I said, no, that's nutrametics. Oh, okay. So, oh, sorry. But uh, hermeneutics is, what is hermeneutics? It's the method and theory of interpreting the Bible. And so here's the rule. Here's the hermeneutical rule. If you study the Bible, you can't build a theology from what the Bible doesn't say. You cannot build a theology from what the Bible doesn't say. You can't build a position or an argument from what the Bible doesn't say. For example, you might ask the question, this is just an example. I'm not trying to be controversial, I'm just using this as an example. Did Jesus speak in tongues? Well, someone will say, well, no. Well, how do you know? I know because the Bible doesn't say he did. But here's the thing. You can't use what the Bible doesn't say to prove a view. It's what I call, or what is called, an argument from silence. It's an argument from silence. All we can really say is we don't know if he spoke in tongues, as the Bible does not say. The Bible does not say. So we can't say if he did or if he didn't. Not, I guess it doesn't really matter, but, 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 but we just don't know. We can't make an argument from what the Bible doesn't say. So when it comes to the realm of healing and miracles, we know that not everything Jesus said was recorded in the scriptures. We just read that. Therefore, it is reasonable to conclude that it is possible that there might be a case or cases where Jesus did pray for someone and they were not healed instantly or not healed at all. It just wasn't recorded. The Bible does also not contain a, uh, the Bible does not contain a record of every instance where the apostles prayed for people. So there might have been times when they prayed for people and they didn't get healed either. So what do we have in Scripture? What we have in Scripture is the highlights. What we have in Scripture is the highlights. We have what did happen, not what didn't happen. And that's how we communicate. Even in life today, we communicate. We tell people, we tell people highlights, for, uh, the highlights. For instance, we say, Barry got healed in the meeting. But we don't go, Barry got healed in the meeting. But Jim didn't, and Lloyd didn't, and Frank didn't, and, and, and Dave didn't, and Bob didn't. We, we, don't, we don't describe what didn't happen. We describe what did happen. We take the highlights. So when you think about the healings of Jesus and the apostles, it is within reason to say that some people they may have prayed for, might not have got healed, or they got healed gradually. We don't know. We don't know. You can't say one way or the other. We just don't know. And again, who's to say that every healing or every person they prayed for, who's to say every healing was irreversible? We don't know that. We don't know. The Bible's silent. The Bible's silent on it. We do know that Lazarus was... He, he, he rose, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, but we do know Lazarus died again. In fact, I'm just sorry to tell you the bad news. Everybody who Jesus healed and prayed for died. <laughs> just saying. Who's to say that there wasn't some people who had only a partial healing? We don't know. Who's to say that Jesus only prayed for the big stuff either? And never coughs and colds or headaches. We, we don't know all that he did. The Bible is silent on this. So you can't use the silence to build 
a case. Could Jesus and the apostles heal at will? I just want to tell you, no, they couldn't. I'm just telling you right now, they could not. They could not heal at will. Please understand, when I'm saying this, oh, how dare you? Jesus, no, 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 he could not. Please understand, I'm not telling you this to say that somehow Jesus and the apostles were lacking in some way. I'm not trying to prove that as a point. I'm, I'm telling you this so as to compare what happened then when they prayed for healing and as much as what happens now. It's kind of similar. If we understand that Jesus could not just on demand pray for everybody, walk through the hospital, go and get up, get up, get up, get up. It's kind of similar to today. If they couldn't do it at will, well, neither could we. If you say, if you don't, if you don't believe me, here's one thing. See, the Bible is not silent on this. Consider this. Jesus turns up with his homies at his hometown. And he turns up, yo, I'm here. And they're like, oh, aren't you Joseph's boy? Don't we know your brothers? Don't we know your sisters? You know, who, who, who are you? And, and, and I don't know if you remember what happened. I mean, the Bible tells us that he couldn't do anything, couldn't do any miracles. He couldn't do it. He couldn't. Mark chapter 6, verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could, speaking of Jesus, he could not do any miracles there. Except, and I think this is a little bit funny, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Maybe some coughs and colds and headaches, right? Uh, uh, right there. Here's the thing, we don't, we don't know. We don't know. But a few sick people there, maybe not too serious, but he, he, he took care of the small stuff right, uh, right there. And I want to tell you, Jesus cares about your small stuff. So could Jesus heal instantly, on command, at will, under any conditions? Well, obviously from this scripture, we know that he could not. And because we know that, we, we, because we know and understand that he could not do miracles at will under any conditions, we go, well, that's kind of like today. It's not so much different than today. In Luke chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Luke, uh, it says, one day Jesus was teaching. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. That's funny. Why did it say that? I mean, why would Luke need to say the power of the Lord was with him? To heal if at any time, under any condition, and at his own discretion, he could, could heal. Really, uh, this verse only makes sense if we view healing as a sovereign act of God. A sovereign act of God the Father who dispenses his power to heal, and at other times, he withholds. John chapter 5, the healing at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus heals one man, but no others. It wasn't that there weren't others there. There was many people who were ill and who were sick there. Why didn't he just heal everybody? Why didn't he just walk through? Why didn't he go to the Jerusalem hospital and, and, and say, get up, get up, get up? Get up? Why didn't he 
do that? Well, he gives an, an answer in John chapter 5, verse 4. Oh, sorry, no, I just wanted to show this. In John chapter 5, verse 4, here a great number of disabled people used to lie at the pool of Bethesda. That's what it's talking about. A great number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. But he didn't walk through and just heal everybody. Why didn't he do that? Well, we get a hint in John chapter 5, verse 19, when he's being questioned about all that's going on. Why did he heal that guy on the Sabbath? And Jesus says this, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing because whatever the father does the son does also jesus did what he saw the father doing he could do nothing by himself interesting what about the apostles could they heal at will under any condition well no paul was unable to heal his friends philippians 2 verse 25 but i think it is necessary to send back to you Aphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. You heard he was sick. This guy had been sent to look after Paul, was sick. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow he got so sick he was gonna die i don't know how many times paul prayed for him i'm guessing he prayed for him but he was so sick paul thought he was gonna die he said he eventually got better and i just thank god it spared me sorrow upon sorrow if that's not clear enough paul writing to timothy in second timothy 4 verse 19 greet priscilla and aquila and the household of uh, of that guy arrest estate at corinth but Trophimus, I left sick. That's not very nice. Trophimus, I left sick at Miletus. I, I, I left him sick. Why don't you, well, Paul, if you could just pray it, pray it. Well, why don't you just say, get up? Because they couldn't. Maybe they prayed for him. Maybe they prayed for him 10 times. I, 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 I don't know, but Paul had to leave him sick. Matthew 10 verse 1, Jesus calls the 12 disciples to him and he gave them, listen, this is what it says, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. We can see just by looking at this passage that Jesus clearly gave his disciples authority over sickness. Can't argue with it. Yet in Matthew 17 verse 16, we are told that the disciples were unable to heal the boy with a demon. They couldn't do it. The disciple, uh, the, the, the boy's father said to Jesus in Matthew 17, verse 16, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They could not. They could not. Kind of sounds like today. Sometimes people get healed, sometimes people don't. So maybe healing ministry is not so different to how it was back then. See, this shows that they were unable to heal at will. Jesus went on to heal that boy. But again, all of that to say this, that the ministry then kind of sounds like ministry now. Not too much different than what we experience today. Some people get healed. Some people don't. Seems like they could not heal 
at will under any circumstances, just like today. Neither can we as a follower of Christ. Now, as we come to a close, it's clear from uh, those verses that we read that Jesus gave authority to the, the 12, the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. He gave them authority to heal. Uh, but please understand, this authority was not only given to the 12 apostles. It really wasn't. In Luke chapter 10, he sends out the 70 or 72, depending on which version of the Bible you have. It's either 70 or 72. It doesn't matter how many. It's their content. In Luke 10, he sends out the 70 with that same authority. Who were the 70? We don't know. Maybe they were just regular believers like you. Maybe they were just normal Christians like you. People just like you. We don't know their name. What we do know is that God used the 70. They came back going, jump and shout and going, man, that was amazing. They came back pumped. They were on fire for what they saw God do. They were pumped. They said, it says in Luke 10 verse 17, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority. Again, here it is. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But then he reminds them. And we need to be reminded. This isn't about, I can do Shazam. Watch me move. Look at, look at what I do. You need to be reminded. Jesus told them. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Who were these 70 unnamed believers? Could they be Shane? Could one of their names be Robert? Could one of their names be Chris? Could one of their names be Katrina? Could one of their names be Tony? We don't know. But whatever it is, for whatever reason, God thought that an important thing to leave out. We don't know. These people weren't special. And again, here's the thing we've got to understand. It's not about our name. It's about His name. Come on. It's not about making us famous. It's about making Him famous. It's not about what, you know, look at me, look at me. It's, it's what He does through us. And maybe they're just normal believers like you and me. For it's not about, like I said, it's how great we are, but about how great he is. That's what it says in Corinthians, brothers and sisters. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before Him. For we have, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Anything that happens 
is because of who he is, not because of who we are. And so today, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're one of the 70. Maybe your name. You've got to understand today that you, you, you've got to understand where you walk, where you go, in your workplace, in your school, whatever it is. You've got to understand that same God has given you authority. I can't find any place where it says that has ceased, where that has ended. That same God, the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever as He did then, He will do now, and that you can be used of God. No one needs to know your name. But we do need to know his name. Can I hear an amen? In part three, I want to look at a couple of things. I want to look at what about those who lead healing ministries and who wear glasses? Why can't they just be, why can't they just sort it out? Why, why you, you know, what's wrong with you? You're going around healing, you can't, you can't, you got glasses. We're going to talk about that. Number two, I want to talk about can we really, as it said there before in the scripture, can we really trample on snakes and scorpions? I mean, some people in some crazy places in the world think they actually can. Let's talk about that. Can we really trample on snakes and scorpions and will nothing ever harm us? Well, let's talk about it. Then the third thing, and just thinking of snakes and scorpions, I've, 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 I've been at places, I've, I've, been in countries where we don't have snakes, so we don't have to worry. Oh, we're easy. We're off the hook on that. But I, I know I went to give Anita a scare one time in the jungle in India, and she was coming out of a drive, and I thought, I'll just I'll, I'll give her a scare. And as I ran into the bush to hide, I, I looked down and... You want to know what happened? I'll tell you next week. Yeah, that's just how it's going to... Good, good, good picking that. And the last thing I want to do... Next week, is just look at what are some of the do's and don'ts of praying for people because sometimes we say some stupid stuff. And so I want to look at that. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. Again, I just want to ask this question. If you're here today and you know you need to get right with God, you know that you're far away from Him, you know that even as I'm speaking right now, you, you sense the Holy Spirit in your life saying you need to respond to this. What the, what the pastor is saying right now, you need to respond to it. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you might be saying, well, you don't know how bad I am, pastor. Friend, it's not about how bad you are. It's about how good God is. Listen, he, there is no other way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. Would you give your life to him today? There'll be some people here today and you know you need to respond to that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that says, Jesus, come into my life. Be not just my Savior, but be my King. Be the Lord of my life. If you know you today need to get right with God, and you're saying, Pastor, would you include me in that prayer? If that's you and you want to be included in that prayer, you want to get right with God today, don't delay, don't take a second. Wherever you're sitting, would you just put your hand up and say, that's me, Pastor. Would you include me in that prayer? You know. Thank you down the back there. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God. Put your hand up nice and high so I can say thank you over here. Thank you here. Uh, over to the side. Anyone else? You know you need to get right with God today. All right, slip those hands down. Let's all pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I come to you today a sinner in need of a Savior. Today, I turn away from my sin and turn towards God. I repent and desire 
to follow you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Be my Lord and my Savior. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today, the Bible says you're born again. Friend, if you prayed that prayer for the first time today as you're walking out of the auditorium, pastors will hold up a gift pack. And in that gift pack, it tells you it's a New Testament and tells you a little bit about the decision you have made today. I want to encourage you. Keep coming to church. Keep learning. Keep growing and, and, and seeing how God can use you. It's not the end. It's not the final. It's the beginning of your journey with God. Can we just stand and thank God for those who said yes to Jesus today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Just before I pronounce a blessing over you, I want to remind you, if you need prayer for anything, over to the side there, there's a prayer station. You go there, there will be people there ready to pray for you. Whatever need, big or small, you need healing, whatever it is, there will be people to pray for you, no matter what it is that you need prayer for. Please avail of that. Would you put your hands out like this? And let me pronounce the blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine, in, shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give Jesus some praise. In the house.